Psalm 119. If you're not there yet, obviously we've been journeying through this lengthy psalm the last number of weeks. Lord willing, we'll finish up Psalm 119 this evening, this great psalm that has spoken to us in great detail about a lot of the benefits of God's eternal and spirit-inspired word, the value it brings into our lives. And the psalmist has just been continuously in such exhaustive ways speaking in these verses about the greatness of the word of God and its benefit for our lives. We left off last time in verse 128. So if you make your way down to verse 129 is where we pick up. The psalmist declares here uh, in this next uh, eight verse section, remember broken into 22 sections of eight verses and each one of those sections uh, beginning with the next successive Hebrew alphabet. Uh, that's how it was used for memorization. Uh, he says here, Psalm uh, 119 verse 129, your testimonies, speaking of the word of God, Lord, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. So as he describes the word of God once again, uh, by way of adjective here, he just declares regarding the testimonies, the things that God's word testifies to our lives. And so this is the spirit inspired testimony of God almighty things that he wants to testify to us truths and things that he wants us to understand about him about his ways about our own lives what it means to have relationship with him how that happens through the lord jesus christ uh, the way that we're to live for him he testifies to us about our own sinful ways and our errors and how to correct those things and how to live properly and he says lord all the testimonies of your word all the things your word testifies to us he just simply says i love the word he uses he says they're just wonderful and, you know, the more we read the word of God, the more we discover how wonderful it really is. You know, it's great when you first get saved, maybe, and you start reading the word of God and you're excited. And so you just have this new appetite and hunger for the Bible and you find yourself reading it because God's speaking to you and you're just discovering all these wonderful things. And then, you know, just the longer you begin to read the word of God. Uh, it doesn't become something that loses its novelty. It shouldn't anyway. It's something really that it just becomes more and more exciting because then like uh, Paul talks about to the Corinthians, he says, you, then you start to, to notice as the Holy Spirit helps you to compare spiritual things with spiritual. And then the wonderful thing happens is you start reading the word of God and because you become acquainted with this section of the word of God or that section of the word of God, you start realizing, oh my goodness, this, this connects to that. And that, that reminds me of this verse. And this reminds me of what it says over here. And all of a sudden, like, you know, fireworks of explosions of, of just new things start to come to light and you start to see things or you read a passage that perhaps you've read before years ago. And then all of a sudden, because God's word is living and it's powerful, it's alive because it's been God-breathed and it's a spiritual book. Uh, at times you can read a passage that's even sort of an old familiar friend, you've read it before, but then all of a sudden as you're reading it because of what you're going through, right at that time in your life, maybe a promise you needed to hear, or you're just searching for some direction or for God to confirm something to you or to speak to you about something, maybe you're struggling with something, and then all of a sudden you come to a verse and with fresh meaning and and kind of you know new insight it just pops off the page at you and just kind of grabs at your heart and sometimes you know i've said before i don't even feel like sometimes it takes god a whole chapter nor even sometimes an entire verse sometimes it's just like a phrase you know just a phrase a few words just come off the page and they just speak in such relevant and personal ways and you realize man lord your word is wonderful it just speaks so clearly, and it, you know, it's amazing. Too. Even just as you're journeying through the Bible, and I hope you do have a, a somewhat of a plan where you're consistently just going through the entirety of the Word of God and not just kind of you know, plopping down in wherever your Bible opens to reading those verses because you could read something like Judas hanged himself, and so that wouldn't be a, a good word for the day. Uh, you want to kind of read consistently, and it is amazing. It's just as you're reading consistently, how just God knows how by his spirit to track. It's like, I can't believe I came to this chapter on this day. Or I can't believe on this day I come to these verses and this just happens to be what's going on in my life right now. And so, you know, that to me makes it all the more wonderful. You see the reality of it, that it's living, that it's powerful, that it is God's way to communicate to us 
his heart and his voice comes through his word. God speaks through what God has already spoken. And that is what happens when we read the word of God, when we study the word of God, as we do collectively through books of the Bible, the same thing. God speaks in a personal sense through what he has already spoken by his spirit in the original giving of these uh, words uh, through the authors that God used to record. And he just says here, Lord, your word, it's wonderful. And therefore, because it is so wonderful, he says, my soul keeps them. In other words, it makes my soul be stirred to want to keep your word because it's just, it's so enlightening. It's so wonderful. Lord, I want to keep your word. And, and it's almost as if you can sense the psalmist saying, your word's so wonderful. My soul keeps it because my soul has come to realize it is to my advantage to live this way. It's to my benefit, right? To, to live according to the word of God. You realize this is a wonderful book that tells you how to live life in a wonderful way rather than in a way that ends up in catastrophe and problems. And so your soul is inspired to want to keep the word of God because you realize, Lord, it benefits me to live according to the wonderful testimonies that your word gives to me. Psalm uh, 119, verse 30, I have this one circled. This has been a, a favorite for many years of mine, this statement in this psalm. He says, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I love that statement there. The entrance of your words, the word of God, as those words go into your heart, as they go into my mind, as they go into our soul and God writes his will on the fleshly tablet of our heart. And they don't just go in as an intellectual exercise, but they go in and they divide between what's soulish and spiritual. And they judge the thoughts and intents of our heart. And they, they rebuke us when we need to be rebuked. And they correct us if we're thinking wrong or behaving wrong. They instruct us and teach us. And, and all the wonderful things, as we just mentioned, God's word does as it goes into our life. And just how it allows us to see things clearly, right? Because that's what light does. Remember, we saw last time, your word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. And we all know, it doesn't take much convincing, this world is a dark place. And it is only going to become ever more dark as the last days encroach closer and closer and closer upon us. Paul said, writing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days, perilous times will come. You know, Jesus spoke of the last days. He spoke, of course, of you know, cataclysmic events like wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and famines and earthquakes. And, but when the Spirit directed Paul to speak of the last days, he said in the last days, perilous times will come. And Paul spoke that word perilous times literally means days very difficult to deal with. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, didn't feel prompted as, as he was being moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't mention anything about the things that Jesus did. He added in the perilous aspect of the last days being the conditions of mankind's heart. Paul says in the last days, perilous times will come. And he said, because men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That they'll love themselves, that they'll be brutal and, and cruel and harsh and proud and arrogant and disobedient to parents and having a form of godliness, but denying the real power of God within their life. In other words, they know how to perform like a Christian. They know how to perform like a godly person, but there's no reality of the spirit of God really working inside of their heart. There's no genuine spiritual experience happening. They just know how to play the part of a spiritual actor, which anybody can do that. You can be a poser in the spiritual realm, just like you can in any other arena of life. And he described the darkening perilous times of the last days is the, is the corruption and the deterioration of humanity. Jesus said in the last days, the you know, love of many will grow cold because lawlessness will abound. And so the world is a very dark place. And it did not take me very long to discover in my life and all the more when I became a Christian and the light of the Lord shone into my heart, as Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 4, to realize that my heart is a very dark place. And my mind is a very dark place. And so there's a lot of darkness in here and there's a lot of darkness out there. And that's not a real good combination. So therefore, it is incredibly wonderful and valuable that God, who Paul says, the same God who spoke light into the darkness has shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And that one of the most 
effective ways God constantly shines light into our heart is through the word of God, which is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And I love how he says here, it's the entrance of your words that gives light. As God's word goes into my life, as God's word goes into your life, as we're reading it and digesting it on our own, spending time with the Lord privately, as we expose ourselves to the teaching of the word of God through Bible studies and worship gatherings, every time God's word is going into our life, the entrance of God's word going in, light is being shown into our soul. Light is being shined into our minds and into our hearts. And that's a really, really good thing. I tell you, this verse is a constant verse I reference when I talk to people about the incredible importance of having a devotional life. I, I always say to people all the time, look, I, I, I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist, but all I know is this, is I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty dark person in my mind and in my heart, and, and the world's a dark place. So if every day I can just have a cup of coffee and I can read a little bit from the light of God's word and get a little light shining inside of me, <laughs> hopefully that's going to keep me from my potential of sinfulness. Because as the light of God's word goes into my life, it illuminates my mind. And he says, okay, you're not thinking right there. So don't, don't keep going down that dark path. Your thoughts are on the wrong trail there. And God shines his light. That's error. Don't go that way. Or God shines his light on some perspective we have. And he says, look, that's a human perspective. That's not a spiritual perspective. Or God's word shines his light on some area where maybe there's some, you know, attitude that's wrong in my life. Or we start to behave in a wrong way. We're being selfish. We're being proud, whatever, you know. And, and as, as a little bit of God's word goes in on a regular routine basis, whatever that looks like, the entrance of his word gives light and it drives the darkness out. And it keeps the darkness from overtaking our lives so that we keep walking in the light and we don't gravitate as we naturally would towards walking in the dark, which is just to our own self-destruction and the harm of everyone else around us. So again, what an important thing. I cannot emphasize to you enough the value of routinely every day letting the entrance of the word of God go into your life. It will keep you from so many regrets and mistakes and going down dark and deviant paths, I'm telling you, just by consistently being in the word of God, just consistently letting the, God's word enter into your soul on a routine basis, reading it personally, being around the time when God's word is being exposed and shared through Bible studies has great, great value as some light is brought into your life through the value of what God's word does as it shines into us with truth to keep us from error and notice what it does. He says, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And the idea there of the simple is the unintelligent or the uneducated. So he's saying how wonderful the entrance of God's word gives light and that God's word is not this complicated, sophisticated book that God has written his word in such a way and given his word in such a way by his spirit. And then the same spirit who inspired the word of God dwells inside of you as a Christian. If you're born again, the author of the word of God who wrote this book dwells inside of you and can help you understand it. And he says, and it gives understanding the word of God does to the simple. So thank goodness, aren't you so glad that you don't have to be a highly educated person to get value out of the word of God. You don't have to be an intellectual. You don't have to have a high IQ or great educational attainment. And again, nothing wrong with those things, but a simple child can understand the word of God. You know, wasn't Jesus himself the one that actually said, unless you become like a little child, you won't even enter into the kingdom of God because there needs to be that humility of just not overly analytically thinking over things way too much where you, you aren't able to just take truth at a simple vase value that it says what it says, it means what it says, and it says what it means. And it's often been said before, when the plain sense makes sense, there is no other sense. And to try and make it say anything else is nonsense. So the plain sense of God's word, it gives understanding to the simple. How wonderful to just be a simple person and to have such wonderful understanding come into your life because you're someone who lives by one book 
and you know this book, and as you spend time with it, as light goes into you and it enters into you continually, even if you're just a simple, common, ordinary person, he says, it can give understanding to the simple. The simple, whether a a child or someone without much intelligence, they can become very deep in their understanding and have wisdom for life through the value of God's word. That's why no wonder, verse 131, he said, I opened my mouth and I panted for I longed for your commandments. So the idea there is, as he says the last two things, he says, look, in light of those things, it makes me hungry for God's word. The picture here is like an animal, you know, hungering or panting after food or water, longing for such for fulfillment. And he says, that's what my desire has become towards the word of God. You know, this reminds me of uh, Job when Job said in in Job chapter 23, remember Job said, he said, I desire your word more than my necessary food. In other words, Job was saying in the same way, I have an appetite that I need to be nourished and I want to eat because I need nourishment for my physical body. He said, I have a greater appetite for the word of God than I do for my own physical food. And it's almost as if Job sensed, you know, that it was true what the scriptures tell us that man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so to have a hunger for the word of God is a wonderful thing. You know, would to God that he would increase in all of us more and more and more by his spirit an appetite for the word that we would find ourselves not out of duty, but actually desirous to want to feed upon God's word, to want to receive what it would say to us and to let it nourish our soul inwardly like food or satisfy our thirst inwardly like water to our soul. He says, verse 132, and look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. So Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm weak, he says. And Lord, I know from your word, it is your custom to those who love you to to show mercy. So show me your mercy, he says, Lord. And verse 133, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Boy, that is a great prayer in regards to the word of God. Direct my steps by your word. I mean, there's what? One, two, three, four, five, six words. That is a great six word prayer to to, to say every time you spend time alone with the Lord and you open the word of God. Lord, I don't want to just increase in some intellectual knowledge here. Lord, direct my steps by your word. Lord, my steps, should I step this way or should I step that way? Should I take a step or should I stand still? Lord, direct my step. Lord, I have to respond to this situation. I, Lord, I, I, this is complicated. I don't really know how to handle this. I'm not sure what to do here. So please, Lord, direct my steps, right? We, we all find ourselves needing direction in our life and to say, Lord, direct my steps by your word. Speak to me, Lord. May the general principles of your word direct my steps that I can say, okay, I'm doing this and I'm gonna take these steps and I'm gonna go in this direction because this I know is in alignment with what your word says is right or this is the will of God. And so therefore I'm gonna take these steps and I'm not gonna take steps in that direction or go that way because that would be to behave in a way that doesn't align with your word, Lord. So I'm not gonna go that way and I'm gonna respond or, or I'm gonna do this this way because this aligns with the general truths of your word. And then just on a personal level, how many times if we're truly genuinely seeking the Lord, asking and seeking and knocking that the door would be open to us and looking for guidance that, right, as we read the word of God consistently with an open heart, how the Lord will do that. He'll bring something in our reading and he'll direct our steps and he'll speak to us in kind of that personal way about whatever that particular thing is individually. Maybe we're trying to sort out and he'll direct our steps according to his word. What a wonderful prayer to pray in relation to the word of God. Lord, I don't want to just learn the facts. I want your word to guide me, to be my guidepost, direct my steps by your word. And he says, let no iniquity or sin have dominion, rulership, control over me. So notice the connection there. If we're asking for God to direct our steps according to his word and God is directing our steps according to his word, then one of the things that's going to be a benefit of that is we're not going to live in sin. 
And God's word is not going to allow sin to begin to take mastery over our lives because hopefully more often than not, we'll be walking in righteousness, we'll be walking in the spirit and not walking in the flesh. And so he says, Lord, I don't want you to just direct my steps by your word so I'm just headed the right way. It's also, notice he says, it's a safeguard to me because I don't want sin, he says, to have dominion over me, over my life. Again, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that, that sin shall no longer have dominion over you and I, that we've been set free by the powerful resurrection work of Jesus Christ, and, and we now have a choice. We don't have to live enslaved to sin anymore. We can walk in newness of life, but yet there is that struggle. And, and so we have to keep ourselves on guard. We have to protect ourselves from getting ensnared in things. You know, Paul writing about not wanting certain things to take control of him, Paul said, you know, all things are lawful, permissible for me. He says, I realize there are things that I can do that are permissible in the grace of God. But he says, I don't want to be brought under the power, the control, the rulership of anything. And so whether it's just something that domineers my life or whether it's something even worse, some sin or iniquity that rules over us, we, we don't want to become slave to something. We want to be walking in the freedom through which Christ has set us free and walking according to what God's will is and that we're not being entangled by sin. So again, those two go together. God, direct my steps by your word so that no iniquity will have dominion and control my life. It will keep you out from under that control and enslavement to sin. He says, verse 134, and redeem me from the oppression of man controlling me. Oppression is when people are restricted or held back. He says, Lord, don't let me be held back or restricted by man that I may keep your precepts. So he's asking here, Lord, don't let any person have control over my life in such a way whereby that person starts holding me back. Notice he says, verse 134, from keeping your precepts or your word. He's saying, Lord, I realize that sometimes I can keep myself from obeying the word of God by indulging in sin or living in wrong ways. But then there are other times when people may try and oppress me or hold me back and they have some degree of influence or unhealthy control over my life. And I don't want them to hold me back from keeping your precepts. Lord, please, he's saying, don't let man, some human being, a person, hold me back from obeying your word. And I would encourage you. Always evaluate your relationships, whether healthy or unhealthy, in light of that. If there's any man or woman, whatever it may be, that's in your life that is working in such a way with the relationship dynamics where they are oppressing and holding back your spiritual life and keeping you from living according to the word of God, that's not a good thing. That's not a healthy relationship. We, we want to have relationships where people are encouraging us and walking with us in that journey. So here the psalmist says, Lord, please notice his prayer. I don't want any person, he says, to hold me back to keep me from your word. Verse 35, make your face, he says, shine upon your servant. Again, the face of favor and teach me your statutes. Again, he's looking to God to teach him. The word of God, Lord, this is your book. You be my instructor. You're the author. You teach me. Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 136, he shows his concern when God's word is disregarded. Look what he says. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. So here he speaks of rivers of water running down his eyes. He's talking about grief and sorrow. And he's saying, Lord, it actually, it causes me sadness to see when people don't keep your law. I mean, what a wonderful, tender heart attitude that he so loved the word of God and he so loved people that when he saw people not keeping the word of God, he says, it actually brought me to grief. It caused me to experience sorrow, tears run down my face. I mean, would to God that we would have more of that kind of sadness and compassion and concern that when we see people living outside of the boundaries of God's word or disregarding God's word, or as we read last time where he talked about those who regarded God's word as void, the idea is they just kind of cast it aside as null and void. I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what that book says. And we know that's the kind of life 
that ends up in a train wreck. And it's not a solo train wreck. Usually it's with 10 other cars behind it and everybody else connected to them is in the crash and all the carnage and everything else, right? And, and notice the psalmist isn't so much saying, I'm angry when people don't keep your word. He says, it, it, it breaks my heart. This is so sad, so sad. Literally brought him to tears. You know, we look at this verse and no doubt, doesn't it in some ways remind us of, and we can almost hear it on the lips of our own Lord Jesus. Remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem, it tells us in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, that Jesus came into the city and he was weeping over the city because how far they had drifted away from the word of God and a proper right relationship with God. And it says Jesus literally was weeping over the people because of their disregard of the word of God. And would to God he would give us a greater heart like that, that we'd feel sad when we see people's lives not keeping and obeying the word of God. He says, verse 137, righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. So notice, because God is righteous, because he's holy, his ways are always right. As we talked about Sunday, God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So if we have a righteous God and a righteous Lord, then upright are going to be his judgments. Everything that are his judgments, again, another term, just all these different terms, speaking of the word of God, Lord, he says, because you're a righteous God, I can know everything in your word is upright. There's nothing crooked in here. I don't ever have to come to the word of God and wonder, is God lying to me? Is God misleading me? If I live by the scripture, boy, I don't know. That's going to be hard to live by, or that really contradicts everything in my reasoning. But, but you can realize in those mo moments, you know, let God be true. And let every man be a liar, right? And, and I don't know, I, I remember, especially particularly when I was a younger believer, there were, I mean, I'd be honest, there were times where things you learned and the ways you thought your whole life long, then all of a sudden you get saved and you come to the word of God and you start reading things. And it's like really challenging the way that you thought about things your whole life long. And you, and you, and you have to, at that moment, decide, okay, who is right here? Me or God? And that's when, you, oh Lord, if you're a righteous God, then upright is your word. And so I must be crooked Renew my mind and your word is right. And whenever that contradiction happens, the best place to land is, Lord, you're right. And I should adjust my thinking. Uh, because if your word says that, you are the righteous one and I'm the unrighteous one. Verse 138, he says, in your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous. Again, he says, and very faithful. So all of God's word is righteous and it's very faithful. It's reliable. It's trustworthy all the time. My zeal, he says, has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your word. So he speaks of zeal gripping his heart. He feels vexed with zeal and passion in his heart. And he says, because my enemies, and I think it's interesting how he defines his enemies, those, notice, who have forgotten your words. This was how he identified those who were enemies in his life, were those who've forgotten your words. The idea is, seems to indicate forgotten, seems to indicate that they've chosen to no longer remember. Not forgotten in the sense of, oh, what did that say? No, the idea is they've chosen to disregard it. They've chosen not to remember it anymore. And he said, these are the people who've made themselves now enemies in my life. Those who have chosen to set aside and to neglect and forget your word, those who are who I stand in opposition to because they're going the opposite way. But he says, in contrast, verse 140, your word, I have this underlined, is very pure. Not just pure, very pure, absolutely pure. There's nothing tainted in the word of God. It's, and it's absolutely pure, not because it's been refined in the fire. It's pure because it comes from a God of light and purity and holiness, and it's his eternal word. And so there's nothing that needs to be done to the word of God to make it pure or keep it pure. It doesn't need to be refined. It is absolutely 100% pure because it comes from a very pure, righteous, and holy God. So he says, Lord, your word, it is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. And isn't that true? I mean, when you live in a world that's all corrupt and defiled and you see all this you know, just impurity and garbage and it's like, oh now now that's polluted and now this is polluted and now this source is no longer credible and and there's all this isn't it so wonderful to have one place where you can always get pure truth and you don't ever have to question it and just the credibility and the purity and the light of god's word what a wonderful thing that's why he says your servant i love your word lord it's just so pure 
And he says, I am small and despised. I'm, I'm insignificant. Yet, he says, I don't forget your precepts. In other words, Lord, I'm nothing. I'm small. I'm unworthy, despised, and insignificant. But yet, though I'm insignificant and small, he says, Lord, yet I don't forget your precepts. I'm going to sense the heart of the psalmist is saying, Lord, I'm a small, insignificant nothing, but I don't forget that you are a big and an awesome God who tells us really big things in your word. And, and, and how wonderful to know I'm a small person, you're an insignificant person, that we have nothing to bring to the table, but yet to remember the word of God and to realize in this book, there's some really great things, right? There's some really great promises, promises that we can do great and incredible things, not because of who we are, but because with God, nothing's impossible, right? And God tells us some really big things in this book even though we are very small and insignificant people to regard and remember his word instills faith and confidence in our hearts of what he can do in his great faithfulness. He says, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. And boy, I'm glad for that. It lasts forever. God can keep us righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's an everlasting righteousness when we put our faith in him. And your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, he says, yet your commandments are my delight and the righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, he says, and I shall live. So again, the psalmist comes back to this idea of the struggles he's going through, the different ways he's mentioned many times in this book, because why? He's just a human being journeying on this earth that's fallen that has sinful problems and difficulties. And here he mentions again, verse 143, trouble and anguish. So he's dealing with circumstantial troubles and problems. Anguish speaks of pain, whether physical, emotional, grief, whatever. So he's got troubles. He's in anguish. But, and he says, these things are overtaking me. But notice they did not shipwreck or sink him. And he says, how did he stay afloat? Your commandments became my delights. I had nothing but trouble going on and I was in complete anguish on the inside. But he said, I kept finding delight, fulfillment, enjoyment in your word. Every day I could find something in your word that made me a little bit happy. It gave me some joy. It gave me some sense of, yes, I'm in trouble, but God, you're bigger than my trouble. Yes, I'm hurting, but God, you say that you heal the brokenhearted. And he says, it's your word, Lord, as it became my delight. It's what sustained me to give me understanding that I could live. He says, verse 145, I cry out with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimony. So he's saying, Lord, please hear my heart. I want to obey your word. I'm crying out, Lord, because I want to be obedient to your word. And then perhaps he implies some of how he did that. Verse 147, he says, I rise before the dawning of the morning. The idea is up early before the day gets going and chaos begins, right? Because as soon as sunrise happens, chaos happens about three seconds later, doesn't it? Life starts happening. So he says, Lord, I rise early in the morning. Why it's so quiet? There's some degree of peacefulness before all the world starts waking up and life starts happening. I rise before the dawning of the morning. And I cry for help, Lord, help. Here comes another day. Here's what's on the agenda, Lord. Here's what's going on. Help me with that. Help me with this. I need guidance, Lord. And I ask for your help. And then what does he do? So he prays. And then he says, and I hope in your word. I put my confidence in your word. It's almost as if right there in Psalm 19, verse 147, he describes a devotional time, a morning devotional time. Getting up in the morning, Crying for help, that's prayer. Hoping in the word, that's being in the word of God. Simple. The only thing he doesn't mention is coffee. Whatever, you can, you can take your own discretion. Maybe you're a tea drinker. Maybe you're one of those energizer bunnies naturally. That's great. But rising up, crying out, praying, and looking to the word of God and putting your hope in what it says. He then says, verse 148, and my eyes are awake through the night watches, so now he's speaking of waking up intermittently through the, the night hours, which happens at times in our lives for different reasons. And notice the psalmist said, I know that I've learned it's best to just redeem those times. 
Uh, he says, it's just best not to count sheep, but as one man said, just talk to the shepherd. It's the best way therapy. You wake up all night long. You wake up intermittently here and there. Oh, man, what should I do? I can't fall back asleep. I'm stressing. And, and He says, this is what I've learned to do. I meditate, think upon, ponder over, he says, your word. What a great thing to do. You get up, you wake up, your mind's racing, whatever. Just this is why it's good to hide his word in your heart, to have some scriptures memorized or keep a Bible next to your bed or pop in earphones and just start having somebody read the scriptures. I mean, there are so many valuable tools to be able to do such, but I'll tell you, you just start meditating upon the word of God, letting it go into your mind, letting it help you. And, you know, I don't think God minds a bit if you fall asleep while he's talking. <laughs> I, I really don't. Uh, he gives us beloved rest and what a great way to make good use of when you wake up in the middle of the night meditate on his word hear my voice he says according to your loving kindness oh lord revive me he says according to your justice they draw near who follow after wickedness they are far from your law notice again those who follow after wickedness the connection they're far from your law or you might flip that the other way. Those who become far from God's law, far from God's word, what are they prone to do? If they drift far from God's word, they're going to follow after wickedness instead. You are near, O Lord. You are close to me, he says, and all your commandments are truth. I don't want to be led by their ideas. I want your nearness and your truthful word to command and direct me concerning your testimonies I have known of old that you have founded them forever. So again, he comes back to this idea of just the reliability of God's word. He says, Lord, your testimonies, I've known them of old, that you founded them from old and they last forever. The idea there is again, just speaking of the, the assurance that God's word is this trustworthy, proven truth that has been from the days of old and it lasts forever. There is no more reliable opinion on any subject than the word of God. There is no reliable, more reliable answer or approach to how to handle something or, or, or determination of what is right and what is wrong or what is truth and what is error, what is light or what is darkness. The most proven, tried and trustworthy and reliable document is this very book. This sacred spirit inspired book that comes from an eternal God that gave these things, settled them in the heavens eternally, and he speaks from eternity to every problem of humanity and everything we need to know for all of human history. And so he says here, Lord, your word, I want to stick to that. Those testimonies I've known of old, you founded them, they exist forever. So he says, verse 153, consider my affliction. And deliver me. Come to my aid, Lord. I'm hurting. For I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Again, just redundant, but notice how many times we've seen this revive me, Lord. Bring revival back to me. It means bring life back to me once again. Breathe fresh life into me. Fresh wind in my sails. Give me a second wind spiritually, Lord. Wake me back up again. I feel like I'm dying. I'm drying up spiritually. He, again, this revive me, and he always attaches it to the word of God because what's God's word? Spirit and life. And so the spirit of God through the word of God brings great revival to the soul of a human being. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they don't seek your statutes, but great are your tender mercies, he says, Lord revive me according notice again he just switches the word to your judgments many are my persecutors and my enemies those attacking me those opposing me yet though people are attacking me and opposing me though people are saying things against me that are discouraging and hurting me though people are doing things to resist me he says i am not going to turn from your testimonies from your word Here's that kind of stubborn, I am going to obey the word of God, whether anybody else goes down that road with me or not. And people can attack me, they can assault me, they can persecute me, they can insult me, they, they, can, they can do everything they want to resist me. But he says with this steadfast determination, Lord, I am not turning from your testimonies. I am sticking with the straight line of your word. 
I'm not turning over here and turning over there. I'm just going to stay on the highway of, of God's holiness, which is the truth of his word and staying on track with that. See, he says, verse 158, I see the treacherous and am disgusted because they do not keep your word. Notice that the, the, not only the disappointment, but, but look at the strong language. He says, I see those who are behaving in treacherous ways. That is treason or betraying who? God. Betraying God, behaving in a treacherous way against the word of God. And he says, when I see that going on, it disgusts me. Well, I, I talk about the heart of the Lord there. We're supposed to love the things God loves and hate the things that God hates. And he says, God, when I see people dragging you through the mud, when I see people trampling on your word and just in a treacherous act of betrayal, he says, Lord, that disgusts me. It's, it's disgusting what people are doing, Lord. And, and here with just such great you know, passion, he says, I, I'm disgusted because they don't keep your word. But he says, verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Now, take notice. He's going to say this four times in our verses that I love your precepts. Revive me, he says again, according to your loving kindness. The entirety of your word is truth. Just in case you were wondering about any part of it, the Holy Spirit makes it real clear there. The entirety from Genesis 1.1 all the way to the last verse of Revelation 22, the entirety of your word, it's truth, no errors, nothing in it that's wrong. It's all right. It's all true. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. It cannot be altered. We saw last time it's settled in the heavens. Jesus said the heavens and the earth can pass away, but this book, nothing in it is going to pass away. It endures. It remains true. Verse 161, he says, princes, that is those with power, Political people, those who are rulers, those who can exert power and influence and movers and shakers, they may persecute me without a cause, but my heart, how does he deal with, again, difficulty? My heart stands in all of your word. I like that. He, he doesn't stand in all the people. He says, Lord, my heart stands in all of your word. You know, it is a wonderful thing when a person can realize the fear of man is a snare, that God shows partiality to no man, and it doesn't matter if they are a prince or a ruler or who they are or how impressive or important they seem to be. He says, Lord, I, you're not impressed with any human being, and not in a, in a you know, reverse arrogant sense, but the psalm says, I'm not impressed with people either. He says, I'm impressed with you, Lord. Your word, that's what, that's what I stand in all. I stand in all of you. I fear you, God. And my heart stands in all of your word. That's the thing I will bow to. That's the thing I'll, I'll humble myself before I stand in all of the truth of your word. For I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I love that statement. I rejoice at your word, verse 162, as one who finds great treasure. He pictures the word of God there like something that it's, it's, it's like a, a treasure hunt. That we go looking through the word of God and searching the word of God through our entire life, studying it, learning it, reading it, meditating upon it. And as we do, he says, within your word, Lord, I rejoice because I find great treasures. I find great treasures, things of great value. The picture there, I almost, it's like when somebody finds a treasure, we call that what's like, it's like a discovery. And isn't it true when you begin to enjoy searching, reading the word of God, is that the word of God, you start making really great discoveries, valuable discoveries. Man, that's wow. That's like a treasure, man. That's great. That promise. Whoa, that promise is worth everything in the world. I can lean on that promise. I can, I can trust that promise. I'm going to hold that promise and bring it to the bank. God, this is what you said. So God, I'm relying on this. And he says, it's like finding great treasures. You know, we make these wonderful discoveries. It's like the word of God becomes like this lifelong treasure hunt. You just keep discovering things one after another in these wonderful revelations as God gives them to you. Now, in contrast to that, verse 163 says, but I hate the exact opposite of rejoicing. I hate and abhor what? Lying. Because God hates and abhors lying, right? God hates and abhors lying. So he says, because your word is my anchor and it's written on my heart, it makes me not just dislike lying. He uses two words, hate, strong word, 
abhor. I hate and abhor lying. Why? Because lying destroys people. That's why when the devil lies, Jesus said he speaks his native language. That's the language of the devil, lying. Deception, deceit, dishonesty, lying, it kills people. It ruins people's lives. Falsehood and deceit. And so he says, I hate that, but I love your law because it's the opposite. It's the truth. Seven times a day, I will praise you, he says, because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. I love the, the assurance there. Great peace have those, again, notice he says, who love your law. So to love the word of God brings great peace into your life. Tranquility. You know, if I were to interpret that in, in my own vernacular, what that means to me, great peace of those who love your law, I would say minimal drama to those who love your law. Life doesn't become a soap opera of chaos and craziness and hurt and wounds and carnage and baggage. Great peace, right? It doesn't mean that storms don't come, but great peace, a degree of quietness, a quiet life, a degree of inner calmness, great peace, a life of peace, some peace in your home, some peace in your mind, some peace in your soul to those who love your law. And of course, live according to it because you love it. And that's why it brings peace and not turbulence and chaos into your life and your family. And nothing causes them to stumble. Another benefit doesn't just give you great peace. But it also, nothing causes them to stumble. The idea there speaks of stability. And boy, isn't it great to have a life that has a settled calmness and also have a stable life? So life's not just like a constant roller coaster where you're always stumbling and tripping and brushing things under the rug and then tripping over it. Just, there, there's just a stability. It's just so valuable to have a stable life. And God's word gives that. It gives us a stable life. Lord, I hope for your salvation. And I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. Notice again, here's our fourth time. And I love them exceedingly. I have great love for your word, Lord. And I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. Ready? Last eight verses. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Again, that phrase there, give me understanding at least five times we see something of that nature mentioned give me understanding according to your word and the idea there is reminding us that the word of god is not just a textbook it's not just meant to be an intellectual exercise should we study to show ourselves approved should we rightly divide the word of truth use our minds and our intellects absolutely but but there's a component of spiritual revelation and realizing that we need spiritual revelation to understand a spiritual book. And so his prayer in connection to his reading of the word of God and getting in, Lord, give me understanding. Enlighten my eyes, Lord. Open my eyes that I might see wondrous things in your law. Remember, we saw that a number of verses back in our psalm. And this is the idea here. Prayer, because of a dependency upon revelation spiritually from the Holy Spirit, connected with the study and pursuit of the word of God. So whether it's in our personal reading or preparing it to share with others, Lord, give me understanding. Open up my eyes, show me things, Lord. Help me to understand your word by your spirit, Lord. I need your spirit's help to understand the scriptures. And let my supplications, he says, 170, come before you. Deliver me according to your word. By your word, Lord, get me out of the traps. My lips shall utter your praise, for you teach me your statutes. Again, the greatest thing is God himself teaches us from this book. My tongue shall speak of your word. And again, as we grow to love it, and it becomes a part of our life, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if God's word's in your heart, then it should start to be more and more upon your tongue. It just begins to roll off of your tongue. And one of the things I... I was astounded my, my whole uh, you know, time when I would listen to Pastor Chuck teach before he went home to be with the Lord. Is, I mean, he just bled the Bible. I mean, there are times I would go to pastor's conferences, or I, I mean, I listen to tons of Chuck's teachings, but when you're, when you're watching him teach in person, you can tell at times 
He'll do, he would do something like open up to a chapter in the Bible, and he's okay, we're going to, whatever, you know, study uh, you know, Genesis chapter uh, 24, and all of a sudden he would just start talking, and I'd be like, he hasn't looked at his Bible yet. What's that? And verbatim, he's just talking out loud the whole chapter, and we're telling a story from the Scripture, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. And just because the Word of God was just such a part of his being, that he didn't have to quote, ch- it just it just was in his heart and it just came out of his tongue all the time. It just overflowed out of his life. And what a wonderful thing, you know, when we get the word of God into our life in such a way that our tongue just begins to speak of God's word, that God's word governs more of our speech than our own ideas and thoughts or other things. Boy, that's really talking good when given valuable conversation can happen in that way for your commandments are righteousness let your hand he says 173 become my help for i have chosen your precepts in other words over other ideas my own or other people's sometimes we have to do that with god's word we have to choose his precepts instead of other ideas i long for your salvation O lord and your law is my delight it's my pleasure i find enjoyment in it Let my soul live and it shall praise you and let your judgments help me. Now, why does he say this? Watch how he concludes this psalm all about the word of God. He concludes it by saying, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant for I do not forget your commandments. Now, one would think at the end of writing that kind of a psalm, 176 verses all about the word of God. (laughs) Why in the world would you say, Lord, Help me, I need your help because I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Come seek your servant, like a shepherd chasing down a lost sheep. Because he realized, again, the propensity of his own heart to be inclined towards what's evil and wrong and how valuable and important the word of God was to keep him on track. And it's almost as if you can sense his heart here and his humility and his honesty saying, Lord, your word is so wonderful. I know it gives such value and benefit to my life, but Lord, I'm prone to wander. And so as he comes to the end of this psalm in humility, he says, Lord, I've gone astray. Seek your servant because I haven't forgotten your commandments. I almost sense him saying, Lord, I haven't forgotten what your word says, but sometimes I wander spiritually. So, Lord, would you come seek me and bring me back in alignment with living according to your word? And I think sometimes that's a great thing to pray. Lord, I know what your word says. But like a sheep, I've kind of wandered a little bit and I've wandered away from your guidance as the good shepherd through your word. And I, I, Lord, would you bring my life back into alignment? Please, Lord, get me back in alignment with your word, because that is the safest and the best place for all of us to be. Amen. Let's stand together.